We are going to uh, just jump right in this morning to Genesis 27. And we are in our third message here in our Bible Says What series, which is a series, this particular one, just focused on Genesis. Some things that make us pause and say, what? When we read them, unpacking them, trying to figure out um, how the Lord would use them to speak to us, to challenge us, to change us. And uh, recognizing that scripture absolutely can handle our questions and our concerns and our wondering. And there's lots to be learned here. So let's jump into Genesis 27. It's a bit of a long chapter. Uh, but I realized sometimes we try to summarize the word and tell the story. It would take me much longer. And this is the canon of scripture. So we're just going to go ahead and, and read the story from here. How's that sound? Um, okay, so we're going to read this chapter 27. Maybe a familiar passage to some of you. And I want you to maybe as we read through it, consider what it is that I'm probably going to say, what about even though it's a, for some of you a familiar passage, some will be brand new, that'd be, that's great. Welcome to Genesis 27. So we are, we're looking at the patriarchs here. We have Abraham. We talked about him last week. Isaac is his son. And then, of course, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we're reading into their story here. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver, and your bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. I wonder what the Hebrew word is there for tasty food. Uh, and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebecca was listening to Isaac. That's uh, Isaac's wife. Rebecca was listening to Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father. I don't know why that hits me funny. Just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him, hmm, appear, and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son. He answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac said to his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought him some wine and he drank. And then his father said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. 
So he went to him and he kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud and his father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban. And Haran, stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? What a fascinating story. If you grew up in any kind of church context, it's probably a very familiar story to you. If not, no problem at all. Welcome to Genesis 27. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you might be thinking this morning, uh, Tracy, this is a Bible says what series? What in this, why are you picking this passage of all of the stuff? We can, our Sunday debrief uh, group on Wednesday nights, we, we, we've unpacked, haven't we, Alicia, so many other things that we could have talked about in this particular series. Why pick this passage to talk about? Aren't there stranger ones that we could have dealt with here? And that perhaps that's true. But I think that my familiarity with this story blinded me Something that really struck me last year when we were doing the Bible in a Year plan, we got to this passage. It struck me really freshly, and it's, I've been pondering it sort of ever since. And it's this, what is the big deal with blessing? A rugged, grown man is weeping openly because his father said some good things about his brother's future, and now there was nothing left to say to him. What is that? Like, that doesn't actually even make sense. Maybe, again, if you're familiar with the story, he goes, yeah, that's how it goes. But think about this. There, there is a pattern of this in Scripture. A blessing is pronounced on someone or a curse. And that blessing, those words, had so much weight, especially from father to son. And, again, if these are familiar stories to you, uh, you might be like, yeah, that's just what happens. So what? 
But I started to think about this in my own context. Think about it in your own context. Uh, I have a, a godly dad. Hey, mom and dad off campus in Florida suffering for Jesus. It's only minus 17 with the wind chill here. It doesn't even matter. Who cares? Um, I have a godly dad. Um, he loves the Lord. He taught us. I just need like two more inches. There we go. There we go. Uh, I, I, I think about this in context of this story. When he is on his deathbed, a very, very long time from now, dad, a long time from now, if my brother Brad and I go to his bedside, will he say something over us that will alter the course of our future? Maybe he will prophetically predict something for us. Almost certainly not. If my brother got to my dad's deathbed before I did, would he get all of the good stuff from dad and I would be left with a half measure for me and my family? Of course not. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. My godly father, if he had the chance to speak words of life over Brad and I before he passed on, he would just bless us. He would just, he would pray for us. He would speak life, wouldn't he, for both of us equally. What, so it, it doesn't really make sense. What is going on here? Are we supposed to believe that Isaac's words had that kind of power and that we're supposed to do this kind of thing for our own children and what we say to our children on our deathbed is going to alter their future? Like, is that what we're supposed to be understanding here? So maybe you catch a glimpse of why this passage is puzzling me. So let's figure out what's happening. Uh, Let's consider how this narrative, uh, since it is God-breathed, might be able to teach, rebuke, correct, or train us for righteousness. So that as servants of God, we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what it tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that that's what scripture does. And so if that's true, how does that apply to us from Genesis 27? Let me ask you, do you have a, any of you have a difficult, you don't have to put your hands up, especially if they're in the room. Do you have a difficult relationship with your siblings? Do any of you have a, a difficult relationship with your mom and dad? Again, you don't have to confess. I'm just, I'm just offering this so that you can relate to the story. <laughs> you are definitely not alone. If you, the picture of your family relationships are not perfect. This family that we just read about is kind of a hot mess. And it might even make yours look like the Brady Bunch. It might. It's like uh, previously on the days on, of the lives of the patriarchs. Genesis 25 tells us, a couple chapters before what we just read, that God had spoken to Rebecca and about her twins while they were still in her belly and they were jostling with one another and she was trying to understand what was going on. And so the Lord said, the older will serve the younger. It was a prophetic word given to her while she was pregnant. And then, uh, so then the, the, the twins are born, Jacob and Esau being twins. And then uh, one day later on, uh, Esau comes in from a day of hunting, and he is half starved to death. And Jacob was sitting there, and he had made some lovely stew, and it was cooking and smelling so delicious. And Esau was so hungry that he traded his birthright for the stew and some bread. And then chapter 25 tells us, so Esau despised his birthright, because Esau was the firstborn uh, between the twins. And a birthright, if that's not something you're familiar with, is given, was given in this time to the firstborn, and likely would have been uh, at least double the share of the inheritance that for any, than for any other child, specifically sons. And also would have given Esau the right to become the head of the family, the patriarch of the family. 
And so now we come to this episode uh, here that we read in 27 between the two brothers, a couple chapters later, and it, and it reads then like a soap opera. It is a complete mess. And everyone in this story is at fault. I, Isaac, this patriarch here, he, he knew what God had said to Rebekah. And he tried to use his paternal blessing to prevent it. When he thought he was talking to Esau, he said to him, May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. And he knew that the Lord had already spoken that that was not what was going to happen between Jacob and Esau. And Esau also knew this and agrees to Isaac's plan anyway. And what was usually done in the custom of the time was that any kind, when a, when a patriarch was, was passing away or was close to death, they would call everyone together in the family and would pronounce these blessings over the sons and, and over the family and would say their last words and all of that kind of stuff in the presence of the, of the family, certainly, almost, and sometimes in the presence of the community. That's not what happens here. This plan was shady. It was secretive because Isaac and Esau knew that this is not how it was done and they were trying to prevent what had been spoken by the Lord already. And even though Esau knew that he had sold his birthright for a bowl of stew and some bread, he decides, this is great. Maybe, maybe that won't count anymore. And then, of course, uh, Jacob and Rebekah, they knew what God had said. Sure. But they didn't ask him for help. They didn't seek him. They certainly weren't honest with Isaac. They outright lied to bend this storyline to their advantage. And they're hated for it. And for good reason. Like, what a horrible thing to do. What a horrible thing to do. This chapter shows an entire family trying to make a spiritual promise come true by their own means. And, and lacking the key element that we need when it comes to serving God. Faith. God expects that when he speaks, people will trust him to do the thing that he has promised to do and to live in that promise by faith. Uh, but unfortunately, faith is not always present in our lives when things get complicated. This is what we see going on here. And as it turns out, Isaac's blessing over his sons uh, was prophetic for Jacob and for Esau. Like what he said to them was prophetic and, and uh, did actually come to pass in that way. Even though Isaac was tricked into giving that blessing to Jacob, he, he was indeed blessed in that way because that's what God had already determined to do, that the older would serve the, the younger. But the deceit that they used to try to secure that blessing was never okay with God. On the contrary, uh, that sin that they committed was followed by immediate punishment. Rebecca was forced to send her favorite son. Yes, her favorite son. Parents don't have favorites these modern days. The kids, if you're listening, your parents don't prefer. But in the Bible times, it was very clear. It says Rebecca, they each had a favorite. How messed up is, like, it's no wonder. What does that do to a kid to be like, I, I know my dad doesn't like me as much as he likes my brother. But it's cool because my mom likes me better. Like, that's just... It's not, don't do that. That's, it's just, it's a mess. Rebecca has to send her favorite son into a foreign land away from his father's house. She didn't see him again for at least 20 years. It's possible, we're not totally sure, it's possible she never saw him again after this. 
Jacob had to pay for his sin against his brother and his father by a long and painful exile. Isaac was punished for holding his preference for Esau above God's plan for him by watching his family fracture. And Esau, he was punished for his disrespect of his birthright by the the loss of the blessing of the firstborn in addition to his birthright inheritance. He's even held up, Esau is held up in in scripture later on as a, a cautionary tale in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. A mess all around. Does it make you feel better about whatever's going on in your family? I hope hope you're encouraged this morning. So, sure, I guess in some some ways, Jacob um, and Rebecca had won. They got what they wanted out of this, but... If God can be trusted, then they didn't get anything that God would not have given anyway. And in the process of them messing it up and being so deceitful, they lost so much. Jacob later would learn, uh, this is another story for another day, but he would learn that blessings are given by God and not gained by deceit. He learns that the hard way over the next 20 years. And so I want to ask you again. Knowing this story, why is there so much drama over a father's dying words? How could they possibly have been so important to create such a mess, to be so highly sought after that they would go to these extreme lengths and tear everything apart so that the right things would be said over the right son? Well, I just want to make sure that you made this note as we were going through that birthright And the patriarchal blessing are not the same thing in scripture. A birthright, like I said, is material inheritance. Uh, So how much you literally inherit from your father's estate. And that's what was traded for the bowl of stew. And it's interesting to note that after all of this hullabaloo, that's the only way I can describe it, Jacob doesn't actually even seem to receive the inheritance that he traded that stew for. Because he meets up with Esau 20 years later, and he's really scared, and it's a whole interaction and thing that's really interesting. And uh, they, they try to, they, they're like, Esau, or Jacob just tries to give Esau a bunch of stuff. It doesn't look like, he says he didn't want anything. Esau's like, I don't want anything from you. I have everything I need. So did Jacob ever even, other than being the patriarch of the family, did he didn't even get what he had traded for and caused all this mess for? I guess we should also say how brutal it is, like if somebody's half starved to death to trade their inheritance for a bowl of stew, like not, a, not, a, not great, not great. So that's what birthright looks like, but blessing is not necessarily about material goods or about your birth order. Um, and this is why Esau says he's so mad because Jacob tricked him out of two things, tricked him out of that, the birthright and also tricked him out of the blessing. And blessings can be viewed in three ways in scripture. Culturally, there was a a really important thing going on that we need to understand, because this is certainly not our culture. Like I said, it would make no sense in our current day and age to go to your your parents' deathbed and expect something like this to happen. But culturally, um, blessings from the father were taken with utmost seriousness. Um, By both the father and the son, um, they expected the pronouncement on the son to impact their destiny. And this is why Rachel and Jacob work so hard to get Esau and why Esau gets so distressed when he loses it. 
His blessings or curses pronounced by the patriarch of the family were always taken very seriously. And they were considered binding. So consider the lengths that they went to in order to make sure that Isaac spoke words over the right person. And they determined, especially uh, Rebecca, she determined that any risk was worth it so that these words would be spoken. Because in the culture, it was just so, so important that that happened. So theologically, though, we know that blessings are not necessarily prophetic. We have examples of that in Scripture. But blessings... From, for most uh, things, would, where most people were simply the father's hopes and wishes for his sons. There's no intrinsic authority in the blessing, just you deciding to say certain words. And God is not obligated to do the thing that you said. God is not obligated to uh, do for Jacob and Esau what Isaac pronounced over them just because he pronounced it. It was because that was what God had already determined to do that those words had power. However, we know that scripturally, um, these blessings are included for us because they show us that sometimes these blessings do have God's seal of approval. And they do, in fact, turn out to be an accurate reflection of a son's destiny. So in cases where a human spoke the blessing, Genesis does portray these things as effective for the son's lives because God confirms it, either verbally or through what followed in their life. Uh, then humans are effective agents of blessing or cursing, though, only when they align with the will of God. Another great example of this is when uh, Jacob then blesses his sons. Uh, these are, of course, now become the tribes of Israel. So his 12 sons, he blesses them, each, uh, each one of them at the end of his life in Genesis 48 and 49. If you want to take a look there later, you can see what he says to his sons before he dies. And his final, we don't have all the blessings of every father gave to every son, of course, because they're just words. But we have this example again of Jacob blessing his sons because they were, ended up being prophetic words over each son. They had prophetic statements in them. And they revealed God's supernatural power at work with this family that he had chosen to bless and that would bless the nations. So do our words have that kind of power? Obviously, culturally, they had uh, a, a huge significance at the time of this writing. Theologically, we know that we, we, can, we can't just say things, and it, we are not, we don't, it's not magic. We don't just say things, and things happen the way we just say them. But theologically, we do have these examples of when, when what is spoken is in the will of God. They end up being a prophetic word that aligns with, with what God is going to do in and through a person's life. So do our words have power? Do our words have enough power that you would want to, like, con your dad and your brother to hear the right ones over your life? Do words have enough power to kill for when they're spoken against you? It's a, it's a difficult question because uh, we, we, there's two things. So let me kind of summarize it with the way I see this as we are, uh, walk through Scripture together in it. And it's this, that our words don't create, but they build up. And they tear down. We don't, we're not God. We don't create. But we know for certain that our words can build up and tear down. Let's be clear. We don't have the power to speak things into existence. Isaac's words were only effective because they lined up with God's plans for his sons. He didn't make it happen. 
he affirmed what God was already going to do in his family. But we also know this. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words don't create the future. Only God does that. But they do have immense power in our lives. Our words don't create, but they build up and they tear down. Our words will align with and confirm the will of God through faith. Or they can be used to speak discouragement and hopelessness and fear into someone's life. That's a lot of power. The power of the spoken word also is that it can't be unsaid. And that's, that's not superstition. Words can benefit someone uh, in, in amazing ways, and they can also do incredible damage. Even if the one who said them wishes that they could take them back. Have you ever been in that position? You said something in the heat of the moment, and you immediately wish you could take it back. The problem with words is that what? You can't. You can't unspeak something that has been said. And this is why Esau wept and begged for a better word to be spoken over him after Jacob stole his blessing. What Isaac had said, he had said. So here's the deal. Your words are not magic spells. They don't have the power to speak things into existence. I know sometimes there is a cultural narrative that says just that. Just speak it into the universe. It's not what we read in the word. But your words, in fact, do have an immense amount of power. They can affirm what God is doing in the world and move forward the kingdom of God. Or they can be used in someone's life to speak discouragement and death. You have the power to build up faith or tear it down. You have the power to strengthen and weaken those around you. And you also have the opportunity for your own life to walk in faith and trust that God will see to it that what he has promised, he will do. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to strive. You don't have to scheme your way into it. You don't have to try to bend his will to your timeline. You can rest. And in that resting, you breathe life into your own future and circumstances. You don't need to suffer the consequences that we see over and over again in Scripture when folks have tried to force the promises of God to come true. I mean, this is Isaac doing this with his sons. What did Abraham do with his sons? I know he, I mean, I have some sympathy here because God promised him a son. His wife is barren. And it's not like he waited six months. Like they waited a long time for God to fulfill that promise. And instead of... Uh, and then instead of waiting for God's full timing to come about and, and for Isaac to be born, he, of course, takes Sarah's servant, Hagar, and has a child with her, Ishmael, and all of the issues that that caused. Trying to force what God had promised to come true outside of his timing by doing it our own way. It's shocking how often we do things like that. My favorite quote from author Andrew Murray says, Learn to say about every want, failure, or lack of grace you need. I have not waited enough on God. He would have given me all I needed in due season. I need this quote in my life because I'm a pretty impatient person. 
But I want to be the kind of person who believes that when God says what is going to happen, when God promises uh, something, when God says, um, here, here is what I, I have for you, or here's how, I, I, uh, here's how I'm calling you or whatever, that I, I want to walk in the kind of faith that says, yes, Lord, I will, I will keep moving in faith. I will keep moving in faith and trust that you are going to guide my life, not try to force it in some other way. See, our words don't create, but they build up and they tear down. It's true for what we speak about ourselves. It's true about what we speak to others. And so I wanted this morning to uh, take some time and take stock of our words this morning. Are there things that you have said or are saying to control or manipulate a situation around you? that you should actually be trusting God with. Let me tell you this from personal experience. I, I can't tell you a particular story about this because honestly it would break confidence uh, with people in my life. So I, I, I'm not trying to hide it or, or be like weird about it. I'm just saying that that's how it is with some of these deep things in our hearts. But I have to say this to you. This is so subtle, church. It is so subtle and you have to use discernment here. In ways that you are, instead of waiting for God, trying to control or manipulate a situation, especially with your words, with what you say to somebody or what you withhold. With the, 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 the body language that you use or don't. There are ways that we try to manipulate our relationships. There are ways that we are trying to control the outcome one way or the other by what we say and, and the subtle things that we do. And they're so hard to spot unless you invite the Holy Spirit to come and point them out in your life. But we know it's true of human nature because we see it through Scripture over and over and over again. Certainly that's this story. We know that, that that's the tendency of the human heart is to say, I see a preferred outcome for myself and I will push my way towards it. In fact, in so many ways, culture tells you that that's your right. And I'm telling you that that is not going to produce the results in your life that you are looking for. But to walk, and I don't mean uh, stand here and be like, okay, Jesus, I'll just, whatever you want, I'll be here. I'll be here until you do exactly what I wanted. Thank you. Not at all. I'm talking about walking in faith every single day and trusting him without trying to control or manipulate on your own. And I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to come and point these things out in our lives because I can't do that for you. I, I needed him. Oh, I was not happy when some things started to come up in my mind as I was praying about this. Um, in some past situations, and I was like shocked to see some of the things that the Lord was like, you know, saying that. Just a quiet word, a quiet. I got to tell you guys, like I do words for a living. You're going to hear 5,000 words from my mouth this morning. Words are my jam. And I, and I didn't realize how, how powerfully I could use them in my own life. And so to be cautious that I wasn't trying to control or manipulate. And it, it was hard word from the Lord when he started to point some things out that so subtly I was doing and not even consciously. Holy Spirit, come and show us. If there are things that we are trying to control or manipulate instead of trusting you, 
I don't want an Ishmael in my life. I don't want to, to, uh, to have the consequences like we see when we try to do this our own way. Discernment is needed. Invite the Holy Spirit to show you. Let's take stock of this as well. What are some words perhaps that you have spoken that you need to be held accountable for? Have you spoken discouragement, or as Proverbs says, death, to someone? That word can't be taken back, so to speak. But I'll tell you something. It can be forgiven, and it can be covered by grace, and it can be replaced by truth. You're not going to say every word perfectly, but the requirement for, is for you to be held accountable for that. The requirement for you is to say, I should not have said that, and I need to check my heart, because if that's what I really mean to say, then I need, I need some heart surgery here, Lord. But in what ways, perhaps, have you spoken over somebody or to somebody in a way that was anything but life? Parents, I got to tell you, we have a huge responsibility here. Spouses, we have a huge responsibility here. If, you don't have, if you're not married and you don't have kids, think about that person who is closest to you in your life and knows you best, a best friend, maybe your parent. You have a huge responsibility here to speak life. And not because you're going to change the outcome of someone's life because of what you say, but because your words have the power of life and death. Because your words have the power to, tear, to build up or to tear down. And it's shocking how easy it is to tear down. Sometimes we don't even mean it. My kids will tell you that when they were young, like 8, 9, 10 years old, they came to me and, you know, we were having that conversation like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, oh, I don't even know. One time it was like, oh, Rob, help me. It was like I want, one of them wanted to be an actor. One wanted to be a musician. One wanted to be, I mean, something else ridiculous. And I was like, I was like, those are not careers. Like, those are not... And then one of my kids, I don't want to give them ice cream after this, so I'm not going to tell you who it was. Uh, what, one of my kids was like, well, thanks for dashing all my hopes and dreams, you know. <laughs> I also said to them, you don't even want to get up, you won't even get up and like sing a solo in the kids' church choir. You're not going to be an actor, you know, like, you know. What I should have done is said absolutely nothing. I'd be like, mm, I love that for you. Let's see how that works when you're 19, of course. Like, just let these things, you know, whatever. So that, I mean, that's a funny example. If I have actually scarred you guys for life, right? Probably, yeah. Um, but parents, you know what you say matters. Spouses, what you say to one another matters. I care more about what Rob thinks about me than you think about me, as it should be, right? He, know, he knows my whole life, and, and we, all, we know each other in, in certain parts of our life. It matters what we say. So are there any words that you've spoken that you need to be held accountable to, accountable for? Because like I'm saying, it's not because you've said the wrong thing or done, it doesn't mean that that's the end because we live in such a, uh, just such a deluge of grace that things can be humbly asked for forgiveness you can move forward. Things can be, uh, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. 
those lies that someone might have picked up because you said something negative can be replaced by truth. Like this is the God we serve. This is not the end of the conversation, but we do need to be held to account for the things that we say because they are powerful. And here's the one that I just want to, perhaps if one of those other two is where you're at today, you can camp there and I invite you to do so as the Lord would speak to you. But what has been spoken to you that is not in God's will? You know, we talked already about the things that were spoken that were in God's will and affirmed what he was going to do for Jacob and Esau. But there are so many things that are said because our words are so powerful that are spoken to us that we receive as truth that are absolutely not true. Words are very sticky in our hearts. And so I want you to um, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you about things that you may believe about you about someone else, about your future, about your past, about whatever, that are not true. But how you've received that as a message. I mean, how many times have you heard the story? Miss um, Margaret uh, tells, her, that tells us in her testimony about how she was told as a student that she will never be able to do post-secondary education. She's just not that kind of student. Well, she did. And she passed. And it took her many years to, to realize that she could do that with the help of the Lord. But those words spoken by, by a teacher, by a mentor, mattered. And, it, and, and they had to be unwoven and, and brought to truth. So are there things in your life like that? Somebody has spoken a word to you or you've just grabbed onto a message somehow, uh, a lie, and you've received it as truth. And the question I would ask you is the things that you believe about yourself, the things that you um, have heard spoken over you, the things that you kind of even set up as your identity, if you ask yourself, would Jesus say that to me? This is my litmus test for everything. So when I hear something like, I'm going to get off the platform this morning, and inevitably I'll hear something in my mind like, well, that was not your best effort. <laughs> that happens every Sunday. Don't worry about it. I'm okay. I will say, I will say that is not something that Jesus would say to me. What Jesus would say to me is, uh, uh, like, like let's, let's walk through next week. Let's talk about, like, let, let's, let me show you something new for next week. Or let's, let's figure out, like, whatever. And maybe it was bad, maybe it was good. Like, who's judging and what does that even mean? But those are not the things the Holy Spirit says to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't go, hmm-hmm. I mean, sometimes he does that to me, but I need that. But not about those kinds of things. Somebody, some, some of you believe that you're simply, I, I know because I've heard it from your mouths, I am not good enough. I want you to picture Jesus saying that to you. I don't think there's anyone named Sally here, so I'll use the word Sally. Sally, you are not good enough. Well, that's true. None of us are enough without Christ, but what is that message and what does it mean? And that's not how Jesus says it to you. He says, come to me. Come to me and find righteousness. I have everything you need. Come to me. Some of you have believed um, that you are not worth it. Some of you believe that you're not enough, that you're too much, that you're, I mean, there's just so many things. And I want you to take a moment this morning thinking about those words that have been spoken, life or death, and ask yourself if Jesus would say them to you. That's your, that's your litmus test. Would the Holy Spirit say this to me? Because when he says things to me that are hard, when he says, Tracy, you are trying to control this situation with how you're, how you're responding and what words you're using and you need to stop. Oh, he would say that to me. 
but he wouldn't say, you are hopeless. You will never get this right. That's not him. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? But we need the Holy Spirit to show us what those things are. And the reason I bring that up this morning is because this passage from Genesis 27 had me so paused on, on kind of like who cares what a dying father says. Except the reminder of how powerful our words are. Of how we can speak life or death. Of how those things can grip our hearts. And also how God can use our words as they, as they relate to someone's future. Just considering the weight of that. So we're going to just take a moment and take stock. I have a, a few, I have a, it's like a script in my, um, my notes this morning. I have a couple of alternate endings for this message. I'm just like, Lord, what do, you, what do you want us to take away from this? And how do you want us to do this together? Matt, I'd like you to come with the team and just be prepared to actually uh, sing us out of the service. I hope you know what that means. Could we just, I, I just, I think that the silence in the room is actually really beautiful. I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable or weird. I'm not uncomfortable, so... Um, I just think that when the Holy Spirit wants to speak, sometimes we just need all of the things to, all of the busyness of our minds to go away. And I, I just have been trusting him this week with your minds and hearts and saying, Lord, would you show each of us one or all of these things where um, anything I've been speaking that I've been trying to control or manipulate in a situation, anything that has, um, I've spoken that I need to be held accountable for, or anything that's been spoken to me that I need to replace a lie with truth, and all of that needs to be revealed by your spirit. So could we stand together and, and just in a posture of listening attentively and receiving? You guys can uh, play a little bit just as we, as we pause here together. Spirit and speak to us this morning. Come in your strength and your power. 